Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Stalker's Vision. Today's episode, we discuss 10 lessons we can learn in the era of neo-fascism. This is a 90-minute discussion, and we invite you to call in at 347-857-1319. All right, all right. We're finally back in the house again on a Monday. Yes, yes, yes. Great to be back. You know, yeah, it's great to be back. I know we've been away for a little bit, but uh, we know uh, lots of a lot has been happening in the world, and uh, uh, but um, we're back to give some analysis to some of that, and uh, uh, and also to you know uh, help some people uh, you know get fired up and get re-engaged in, in the battle. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's uh, you know we get busy sometimes. We have our meetings and things of that sort, and things we have to do to to totally enable us to get here on online. And uh, you know, I, I miss it when we uh, we're not able to do that. But uh, you know, that's, I have to admit that's going to happen sometime. But basically, yeah, man. Today's show really is kind of a you say ten lessons that we can learn from neo-fascism. Seriously, it's it just it's just a it's really. Just for us to get here and just get off some steam and just get off on some, some issues that have uh, been, been going down. Because anybody knows, you know, if you're listening to the show, you know, we, we, we normally try to, 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 to keep this framed within some, some ideological struggles. You know, like it's not about just, just, you know, Trump or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but it's really try to look at it from a more ideological perspective, you know, because – Whatever happens in these these parties and these individuals, right? Um, it doesn't matter what happens to them. There's there's an overarching kind of struggle that we need to keep in the forefront, and and that doesn't get talked about enough. And so that's the reason why, um, you know, we said it before. We don't really talk a lot about the current issues in that in, in the way that many other shows do, because we try to keep we try to frame it within kind of a larger. Um, um, you know, uh, social, economic, political, um, uh, ideological struggle, right? You know, you understand what I'm saying, Carl, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's so, important because what, what I know the event um, around 45 has made people feel um, that there's something wrong, there's something psychologically wrong uh, with 45, or that. Um, this is a um, aberration, uh, and that there's no uh, connection to historical development and events. Um, that there's no material basis to it. And so, what we try to do is to give an analysis, both historical of, of the past, but also uh, to take a look at this new neo-fascism and the material basis upon which it emerged. Uh, to give people a sense of, you know, uh, what exactly is going on and why uh, this is happening. And then along the way to have uh, a strategy as to 
what we ought to be doing, what we should be doing, how should we be doing it, um, and uh, uh, those kinds of things as well. So that's why I feel a little different than both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, I like to say, a lot different because, like I say, I don't see, you know, I've been doing a lot of listening to, uh, you know, Democracy Now! because I I, I got my little little treadmill now trying to deal with my health here. I'm not trying to get bougie, just trying to deal with my health. And uh, so it gives me an opportunity to, um, you know, I'll watch something for 30 minutes. And I, I normally want to do I, I just don't sit in front of, of a television or even a computer screen for 30 minutes and watch something like that. I just don't do it. I usually I'll listen to podcasts, but that's about it. But, uh, but anyway, I'm just saying, you know, as good as I think, you know, the uh, Democracy Now!, other shows like that are just really relevant, really informative. You know, definitely if you're listening to, that CNN crap or MSNBC crap, you should, you know, you know, definitely should have Democracy Now and other progressive kind of news uh, shows like that, um, uh, something that you that you turn to. Uh, but but again, you know, very few programs are kind of again given this kind of ideological analysis that's needed, and and that's really, you know, I. I um, it's good, Carl, when I get engaged with people, be it personally, you know, one-on-one, which is, which is rare because I don't get out that much, but also when I get, in, in, particularly on Twitter, and get some back-and-forth struggles about, you know, what kind of change do we need to have um, in the world? What kind of vision should we have for something different? And, and people are okay. struggling with that. I know this weekend they had um, um, uh, the, the, people's, uh, uh, the People's Summit, and I wasn't right. able to follow the detail, but I got I got a little bit of that, um, you know, on, off of Twitter and, and, you know, just hearing what people are saying about that. And, and, and there was a lot of struggle being weighed about, you know, well, you know, what do you do? What, you know, what do we do uh, uh, with the Democratic Party? You know, how do we reshape it? How do we challenge it? And things of that sort. And, you know, and we've talked about it plenty of times before. Um, there, are, there are some lessons that we should be learning in this era. Right now, because the thing of it is, this is it. We we said it uh, even before forty five and, and, and the fascists was was put in was put in power. That if he's bought it in, which I, I really was surprised that people would you know would just stoop that low. But even if if, if he was put in, that one is it was going to be a serious learning lesson for this country and and the and the world you know at large. And two is it really means that we're going to have to come out of this stronger. You know, we're going to have to learn some lessons about what, 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 how he got there, what it means for, for somebody like him to be there, right, and what it means for us to not allow that to happen again. And in order for you to do that, I think the first lesson we've got to learn is, is that bourgeois democracy, right, protects it doesn't protect the interests of the people. And that's the first lesson. Bourgeois democracy protects the interests of the oligarchy, the rich, right? The Democratic Party may use the, Repub- the, the working class people, may use black folks, people of color, to get elections and things of that sort. Even the Republican Party uses working class people to get votes in elections. But at the end of the day, right, this is this is – you know, bourgeois democratic parties, right? And now you've got the oligarchy firmly in, in, in the seat of power. 
Now, you can say, well, you know, Obama was like that too. Hell yeah. Obama was a neoliberal as well. Frank a neoliberal. He worked in the interest of Wall Street and other people that funded, funded him and, 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 and his party, right? But, but there's a little bit to me as a difference, you know, in terms of where Obama came from and what Obama essentially was trying to do, irregardless of, of his being backed by Wall Street and being, being himself a neoliberal. There, there's, there's a slight difference in understanding. I'm not, this is not a, a discussion about, this is not a defense of Obama, please. Don't even think that. But the, what I want to understand is that the oligarchy, that is people who are the bourgeois class, who are not only talking about protecting their money and their power, but who want to wield political power. And this is what ushers him in. Now, people may not like this, this, this idiot uh, personally. People may, you know, I would, I would even say some people in the oligarch did not want this fool to be up there. I mean, so there, there's divisions amongst themselves about that. But we best believe they're going to benefit from his reign. And so we have to, this, that's, to me, is one of the first lessons we need to learn is that bourgeois democracy is real and, 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 and is designed uh, to weaken the democratic institutions within society. This is what is happening. Just try to well, try to try I, to, I, to, I to do that. Go ahead. No, well, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's designed to weaken uh, democratic institution. Bourgeois democracy is an outgrowth of feudal, uh, aristocratic, uh, monarchy type of of uh, governmental system. A bourgeois democracy was uh, emerged. It emerged out of violent struggle. It emerged out of, a, you know, there was a, an election and then they won. Um, if you look all throughout Europe, or even in third world countries that were uh, under control of imperialists uh, and there were, you know, uh, peasant feudal base, whether in China, whether it's even to the degree, you know, in, in, in Central and South America, parts of Africa, that's a national liberation struggle, where, where these feudal types of systems did not allow um, many contending forces to seek concessions from the state. It wasn't designed for that. Bourgeois democracy was designed for one, for, to, make, to promote the interest, fundamentally, to promote the interest um, uh, of, of the utilization of the state for the, for, uh, you know, for the capitalist class, uh, whether it's monopoly or finance capital. It was principally designed to promote, fundamentally designed to promote the interest. To do that, what they simply did was to say that people have a stake to contend in wouldn't have a state, but have an opportunity to contend with the state to win certain concessions for their particular fraction. So uh, the working class, if they fought hard enough and win some concession from the state, they can get, you know, uh, instead of a 12-hour workday, they can get an eight-hour workday. Instead of having uh, child uh, labor, they can have uh, laws that are banned against child labor. Those it served as an arena of struggle for those who were in concession. For the petty bourgeois, 
whether it's a small business person or for a farmer uh, or a self-employed person, if they call us together as a party, as an interest, they can win whatever temporarily their interest uh, for them. But fundamentally, the bourgeois state is a bourgeois capitalist state. It is their state fundamentally, and it's, and it's primarily to promote the interest. So it's over and above the previous feudal monarchy aristocratic state. But it's not the perfect state. It is because it, is, it was never designed for in the, in the best interest of, of oppressed people and particularly of working class people in particular. It wasn't designed to promote those interests. So what people have been able to do to push the bourgeois democracy is to build uh, different forms of institutions, people's institutions, democratic institutions that did not exist on a feudal state for labor unions, community associates, you know, uh, you know, community groups, civic groups, uh, political parties, which did not exist prior to uh, bourgeois democracy, and it allowed to a certain degree, not because the bourgeoisie said you could have them, because they were thinking they were only for them, is that it allowed a material base for people to struggle and fight and die for them. So labor unions didn't pop up right after the bourgeois revolution. People um, people had to fight and die for those labor unions, whether in Great Britain and, and particularly early, the earliest labor union in Great Britain, which later you know came to the uh, France, the, the U.S., and other places around the world. Those are new uh, democratic institutions. That really, most of these democratic institutions are approximately 200 to 250 years old, um, and uh, and some and most. The institutions of the third world countries are probably no more than 50, 60 years old. Um, so they're relatively new institutions that pushes the interest and forces the state to concede some demand. What fascism does and neo-fascism does is basically says, and they, and they emerge uh, throughout history, uh, they emerge when there's an economic crisis that they can't resolve. And they know, and I remember talking with uh, many of our uh, Marxist friends back in 2007 when people were saying, well, once the economy collapses, the working class will wake up and they will fight in the street. And I said, oh, hell no, that ain't going to happen like that. There will be two roads. There will either be a road to say, hey, um, we need to seek an alternative society, an alternative economic system, and, and socialism is, could be that role. Or the fascists will emerge and say, we will come along, and the political fascists will come along and say, we will save capitalism and save it and, and make it work in the best interest by getting rid of all these, these institutions because they are getting in the way of rebuilding and making it more profitable. The role of 45 in neo fashion is first and fundamentally, first and fundamentally is to help the capitalists get through this economic crisis to make serious, profitable money. Number one, Wall Street Journal has been talking about that they're going to go from 20,000 to 30,000 points in, in, in a few years because now all the rules and regulations will be 
uh, Dodd-Frank will be thrown out and they can make money. Two, we can get rid of take, trying to take care of a social safety net by getting rid of what a, you know, minimum health care, not even a single pair, but this Jerry Reed, Jack Lee called, you know, American uh, Affordable Act you know, Obamacare. We can get rid of that. We can get back to making some, mis- some serious money off of the death of people's health. We can, we can get back to, uh, to Wall Street have unfettered amount of money. We can get back to where the industrial capitalists can automate the hell out of people's jobs now. You know, Trump is running this thing about, you know, we're going to make America great and we're going to bring jobs back. No. The bourgeoisie has made it perfectly clear. We ain't bringing no jobs back. What we're going to bring back is more automation and more people are unemployed, and we're going we're to hire you to go to war. We're going to send you halfway around the country to die because you will, you will have no value, no worth, other than to promoting our interests from around the world. So under, under neo-fascism and uh, fascism, the first task that begin to do is to undermine you know, uh, uh, institutions, uh, progressive institutions, democratic institutions, to get rid of uh, labor unions because they're just a pain and a barrier to profitable, uh, to a profitable system and to basically merge the state with the corporate system. That is fundamentally what, um, what fascism is all about. I noticed in the 90s and in the early 80s, people were thinking fascism is like, oh, they're listening in on your phone or they you know, controlling everything or there's police all over the place. You know, they... They were fed a lot of movie version of fascism. If anyone just studied, you know, Italian uh, 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 fascism or or um, uh, Nazi Germany or uh, Franco in France, Pinochet in Chile, uh, you know, uh, all these fascists, they all have very similar and common uh, agendas and practices, and those practices are very consistent. It starts with a crisis. It starts with a crisis because what the bourgeoisie knows fundamentally, when you are out of a job and, you were, uh, and you've been on a job for 20, 30 years, you're now out of a job and can't get a job and you can't get proper health care and you can't get, get a proper education, you begin to look around and say, something's wrong here. And, pe- and working class people begin to look around and say, something wrong. I thought I was part of the middle class, and now I'm part of the poverty class. Something's wrong. There must be some way to get out of here. And what happens is, is the bourgeoisie knows that, and what they do is they begin their ideological uh, miseducation using the media and all the institutions of the state and the media to basically say, no, you know, uh, we, we will save you. We, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to uh, misinform you about what's going on, but this is how we're going to save the system. And just believe in us, or, you know, uh, oligarchy, uh, bourgeois oligarchy, so we will save the day.
Yeah, you know, I, well, you know, I'm, I, I hear, okay, I hear what you're saying on that. I, I'm, I'm not sure if we totally disagree because, again, you know, you say, well, we're seeing the the uh, the, the undermining of progressive institutions, you know, under, undermining of say labor union, of things that people fought for, you know, voters' rights, you know, the the these right. are some. I think I think that there there is. I, you're right that there is a bourgeois democracy. I, I, there's a history of it. We know where it comes out of, blah, blah, blah. But I think that but a lot of people don't know that. People, no, a lot of people don't know, know that. And I know. And you, and, and most and people believe that. it always was that way. And that's no, no. And, and, I, and, and that's clear that, that it, it definitely came out of, you know, came out of a feudal, a, a feudalism. So, yeah, you're right on that. What, what I'm saying is, Carl, is I think that we have to also recognize that people don't know enough about is that there's a strong resistance uh, tradition, right, that has mm-hmm. taken bourgeois democracy and tried to make it live up to what it what it says it's going to be. Right. In other right. words, so 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 right. so that's what I that's what our struggles have been about, even from the day of anti-slavery all into the civil rights movement, and you know in these labor movements, um, you know voter rights movements, even even to the to the extent of making these this bourgeois three three branches of government trying to make that work on the behalf of everybody. Now, again, at, at the end of the day, we know that bourgeois government works for the for the few, not the many. We, we do know right. that, but there's been a strong tradition of it trying to push it to work for the many and not just for the few. And that is what we see in the labor, in the labor movement, the, uh, the, the voters' rights, the, the voters' civil rights movement, the the struggle to regulate, um, the demand to regulate banks, the, the 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 making sure that even though the media is corporate owned, that it still has some level of of freedom and uh, and rights to do to report on what's going on. These things are essential because the reason why I say it because this kind of shit's going to be essential even even in socialism. You see because. Mm-hmm. Just because you have socialism doesn't mean you're not going to have these things kind of set the problem if you don't understand what it means to have, you know, a, a real dem- democratic uh, 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 country and process and system, right? I mean, because you, you know, mm-hmm. okay, so well, we're going to nationalize all these resources under socialism, right? We're going to nationalize resources. We're going to have, you know, Living wages, for example, I'm just kind of giving a, just kind of a, a broad stroke here. You're going to have those things, but at the same time, you need to really keep pushing for more and more democracy so that you right. don't get things back in the hands of the few who, are the, who though they say they're down for the people, they're down for socialism, uh, it winds up not being like that. And, and the reason why I think a lot of times that happens is because we, we heavily depend upon this kind of representative democracy. You know, we all can't, right. unfortunately, we can't, you know, we can't make a collective decision about everything. If we, if we try to do that, then we wouldn't get anywhere. I mean, there would be some issues that we'd be so divided on that we just, we would get, we would get stale, you know, in a stalemate. So we have to have maybe not the same type of representative democracy, of course not the same type we have now, but we, we, it will still be some level of representation. So we need to have more and more democracy in terms of people being able to have serious levels of input in decision-making process, having more decision-making process on the local levels, you know, uh, uh, in that, to 
to have it, if we if we if we keep with this kind of government uh, type of uh, um, system, that we have not just a bunch of politicians up in there, but we have people representative from from you know wide range of institutions, from labor, from science, you know those kind of places, from from a, a, a wide range. Right now, it's, it's primarily represented by people who again belong in the oligarch, you know, or who are members of the oligarch or who worked on behalf of the oligarchs, but they're certainly not coming from the labor. You know, I, I was just looking at, I don't know too much about, you know, the British uh, party system. I'm pretty sure a lot of us like, pretty much like uh, our own, and, and, I, and I really want to, you know, do some study on it. I, never, I admit I have never done that. But, I mean, the concept of the saying, uh, here is uh, Corbyn is part of a labor party. Now, I don't know what the fuck that really means in the day-to-day. You know, I mean, he sounds a little, little bit like Bernie, blah, blah, blah. But, not, but, but for, for, on a conceptual level, though, it's like, yeah, I mean, you would see that we would need a, not just a Democratic Party, but a Labor Party, a party that says is working on the interests of the working class. And for me, that would be a Socialist Workers Party. Now, right. in England, they call it a Labor Party, and they may, they may all, you know, that little word and the way they frame that may get it all kind of uh, diluted. Right, and that it's not really mm-hmm. focusing on labor. It's not really working on the behalf of the workers. But to me, ultimately, we would need a socialist workers party that, in government, in power, not not some fringe party, not somebody that's out in the outside doing marches and shit. I'm talking about that. That that's a party to, to replace the Democratic Party, to replace fucking the Republican Party, as far as I'm concerned. To, because at the end of the day, if working class people don't have rights. That, that that they're needed, then the whole system is fucked up. Seriously, because the workers, the workers are the ones to keep this shit going around and around and around. It's not the rich people. It's not. Right. I don't care what people sit up and say. Oh, you know, well, without the rich, we wouldn't be able to do this, this, and this. That's fuck no. No, this is what. At the end of the day, the, the head of C, the head of McDonald's or the head of of Apple. They can't make all the – he alone can't make all the iPhones. He alone can't make all the fucking hamburgers, right? And so the mm-hmm. workers got to say, look, motherfucker, if you're not going to pay me what I need, then you're going to make the motherfucking hamburgers. You're going to make the motherfucking iPhones until we get what we, what we deserve. This is the kind of mentality we have to have. It's saying, mm-hmm. look, while you got motherfuckers up here that are multi-billionaires, that when they go to work, they don't even go to work. I mean, but every every hour of their of their existence, they're reaping in a thousand, two hundred, two thousand, five thousand dollars an hour, and then where other people have to go work all day and fucking for a measly ten ten dollars an hour, eight dollars, uh, ten dollars, yeah, eighty dollars a day. What the shit is that? So that kind of to, to me, as long as that contradiction exists, we're going to have problems. And and these right. these, these fools think. These fools really, really do think, and, and I can be arrogant like a motherfucker on this, they really fucking think they're going to be able to make everybody just total fucking lie. Then after a while, they're going, to, they're going to gain so much power, so much strength, that everybody's just going to bow down. But you know what? The people don't do that. Never have, mm-hmm. never fucking will. Now, the people may get stupid, okay? Yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can do some stupid shit. We can get hoodwinked. We can get played because we're getting played now. People got played. But eventually, when people are up against the wall, people 
people are going to wake the fuck up, right? And people are, some people are woke. Some people are woke, just not enough of them, right? I mean, there were 60 million stupid-ass people to put a, just, just literally a maniac in office. So that, that's a problem that we have to deal with. That's a lesson that we got to learn. I tell people on Twitter all the fucking time, look, you can sit up here and make jokes and, fo- and focus on, on 45 all you want to. But you got to remember that 60 million people voted his ass in. That's the 60 million people that you got to reach. Because this asshole ain't going to last for forever. Right? For you millennials, he ain't going to be around in 10 years. Either he's going to mm-hmm. be dead or too old to matter. Right? So the, mm-hmm. the question of it is, is that what do you do with 60 million people that were fundamentally stupid enough that whatever they're, you know, is because of their racism, because they just wouldn't, they wasn't woke, they, they just kind of hate everybody, hate everything, whatever the matter is, you got to talk to those people. We got to talk to those people because the people, we've got to be more collective in our own interests. A lot of the people in the 60 million are working class people. They ain't part of some fucking bourgeoisie. They think they're a part of the bourgeoisie. They've been led to think they're part of the bourgeoisie, but they're not. So as soon as so they've got to have a rude fucking awakening as well. That's another lesson that we need to learn out of this era is that motherfuckers who think that they have some interest with the bourgeoisie, right? That this this clown is going to uh, cut back taxes to the point that it's going to make things easier for them. They got a rude motherfucking awakening, just like we had a rude awakening when uh, uh, Obama was was in power. We thought, well, shit. You know, it's going to be everything. It's going to be on, right? Obama's in power. You know, Obama, they got a black man in power. No, we, had a, we got a rude awakening, too, at least with all of us who woke, right? We realized, no, it ain't that simple. It ain't that simple to have a black man in power, and everything's going to change. No, motherfucker, that motherfucker, he, he, he was like Farrakhan said, he was selected before he was elected, right? So that's what I'm saying is democracy, to me, is fundamental to whatever institution we're talking about, be it a economic system, we're talking about be a capitalist system, a a socialist system, or even a communist system. If you do not have the working class interest being in the forefront, you do not have caps on wealth accumulation, you do not have um, uh, uh, regulations, environmental regulations, all kind of fucking regulations to, 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 to keep people in line, right? Because people, by nature, motherfuckers are greedy. All of us. Some a lot more than others. So we have that by nature. So we have to create institutions that are going to curtail that shit. Okay? We're going to have to do that. Because otherwise, it ain't, things ain't going to be right until that happens. It ain't going to be right. So either we'll, either we'll fuck up the whole planet, you know, because uh, shit just ain't going to be right. And, and they think it's going to happen, but that's not. People don't get tired. Mark talked about this shit in his day. Mark talked about the same stuff in his day. And, and even 100 years, somebody more years later, people are still struggling. Ain't nobody bowed down yet. Ain't nobody bowed down. They might be confused, but ain't nobody bowed down. We have two callers on, um, online. I'm going to let in in, in a minute. Um, and well, I think one of them might be on Skype. But Carl, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you want to respond to that. I just say yeah. That. I, I just wanted to add. Uh, there's two things. Um, one is that um, 
when 45 came into office, it uh, woke a lot of people. The resistance movement began uh, with the Women's March, uh, you know, the Science March, uh, you know, uh, Immigrant March. Uh, it was just uh, massive uh, marches, uh, unparalleled. We haven't seen since the 60s, which is great. And I think what it shows is that people are ready and wanting to do something. The challenge is um, is threefold. One is we need organization. Part of the organization yeah. is what you talked about. Right. We need right. to move. We can't change the Democratic Party, but we must struggle right. through the Democratic Party to create a new, you know, working class, you know, people of color led party, electoral party, a united front party. And all forces say we're not going to be um, we're not going to be represented by the one percent. The one percent can't be a part of this party. We're not going to be funded by the one percent. This is us. But to do that, we need to bring the contradictions in the Democratic Party to the fold. And that's what's happening with folks um, that are connected to uh, Bernie Sanders, and that's the struggle that's taking place in the California Democratic Party, uh, in Massachusetts Democratic Party. They, those contradictions are going to have to be struggled uh, through, and, which inevitably going to lead to a, um, a new organization that has to be well organized uh, to be able to have a fundamental impact. To yeah. understand that, go across the ocean to... to um, to Great Britain. The election in Great Britain, which is a, is a parliamentary election, Theresa May represented the Conservative Party. She, they came under the same neo-fascism current that had taken place uh, uh, with Roman 45 and others across the world. That, that current was that she rose to power through that. Part of the problem was the Labour Party, which is in many ways it ended up being more or less a neoliberal democratic party, but it was called the Labor Party. Um, right. You know, Jeremy, uh, uh, but what has happened is, is that uh, Corbyn was able to take a Bernie-style socialist message very similar to Bernie Sanders, and basically uh, they didn't defeat the Conservative Party, but the, the, the Tory. But the, the Tory party, or the, um, that party, was, was forced to even go to even more reactionary party um, in, in, in Ireland, um, the Ulster the Unionist Party uh, connected. So what it tells you is that the contradictions are happening all over the world. So we, we, need, to, we need to transform labor unions from a business form of labor union, which is trying to cut deals and trying to survive, to a much more uh, social justice fighting organization that gives strength, like the, the National Nurses Union, that is willing to be a limited fighting force for social justice and the struggle to deep around a wide variety of areas and expand the notion of what the role of unions ought to be. That, is taking that has been taking place in South Africa. They had a split in Kasatu where folks were, well, they were kicked out, but the split took place in Kasatu 
with the national, you know, the, uh, the national Mine workers uh, union, uh, which now is, is, has created an alternative uh, federation of a much more left progressive union because basically Kasatun is sold out to the ASC. Uh, 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 so this phenomenon is taking place all over the world. So, so for those of you who are engaged in the indivisible struggle, I, I, I'm not talking about you academics. I want you who like to give a critical analysis of stuff, and, and that's about it, and don't do the work. I'm, I'm talking about those who are activists who are trying to change by get, you know, organizing rallies and demonstrations, mobilizing political education, raising people's consciousness, and, and doing it on a practical day-to-day level, that, which, is a, uh, which is difficult and hard work. For those who are part of the movement, you, please keep in mind that in your, while you're engaged in the indivisible resistance movement, your eyes is on the prize of a socialist transformation. That's, what you, that's where you're headed. You're, you're not headed to bring another neoliberal Democrat back into office. You, you need to demand more. You need to articulate that more. And your demands and positions must reflect that in the, in the midst of struggle. You can't do that by publishing an article in, 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 some, in some paper someplace. You have to do it yeah. in the midst of struggle of working with every, every, everyday working class people who are struggling, trying to make a living, trying to survive, trying to do the right thing, and, 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 and things just doesn't necessarily always work out for them. They're not perfect people by any means. They, they, they don't wake up being revolutionary, socialist, perfect working class persons. Oftentimes they come with the same bourgeois baggage because that's the society that they're born in. But when you engage with them, you struggle with them, you work through them, you elevate their, their, their consciousness and practice to the next higher level, those are the role of what a socialist organizer ought to do to bring about socialist transformation here in America. Keep your eyes on the prize, not necessarily the immediacy. It's not, I'm not saying that we need to sustain and support democratic institutions. Do that. Expand them, stretch them, push them, build them. But at the same time, the ultimate goal is to that socialist transformation. Yeah, let, let me try to get uh, this caller. I, I think this is, might be okay. a Skype. It's just, all I got is a one 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 one. So, uh, caller one 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 one. Are you there? Yo, what's up? It's me. Oh, hey, hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. No, no, it's oh, not. It's not a, right on, bro. Right on. Okay. No, it's not a Dom. Yeah. It's actually Shay. It's who? Oh, uh, Shay, man. Oh, Shay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Shay. Okay. Oh, sorry. You sound like okay. It, no problem. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, definitely. Uh, this is this is Jay. You say you say Jay or Shay? Shay. Oh, okay. Did you you call them before, right? Well, uh, no, I tried. Uh, we 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 talk on Skype uh, about uh, Zeitgeist and stuff. Oh, okay. That, I'm I'm not hearing your name right. Okay, I hear you, bro. Yeah, now. Yeah, you, I'm man. So glad you able to call in. Yeah, no problem, no problem, yeah. So you, you're calling on Skype, right? No, actually, I'm using a Google phone. Skype wouldn't let me. Uh, oh. 
Okay. Yeah, I think I got. I think I saw you come up on my phone when I was trying to get into the studio, and and the studio yeah. was giving me problems. So yeah, man, I'm glad you're able to call in. Let me uh, let me just try to get the other call in too, so that way they don't have to stop. You know, here, let me get the two five four number in. I think this is this is Jay right here. Hold on a second. Jay, you how's in? it going, people? Yes. All man. right. All right. Good. All right. Yeah. So we got four of us on here. So yeah. Let's let's hear from you two guys. Um, you know, just about what we've been talking about. Um, you know, we again we're just talking about some lessons to learn from neo under on, on this neo fascist uh, era. Uh, so so kind of like uh, Nate, what what do you what do you think, man? Um, me? Mhm. Mhm. Oh well, like yeah. uh, first thing I just want uh, first thing I just want to mention is just the the issue with democracy. In my perspective, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone's got a different perspective. I mean, we all got the same ideology, but uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't work, you know, in this in a capitalist system because first and for, or right. in this type of capitalist system because of the fact that if you're working even just eight hours a day, you can't keep up with all the stuff that comes out, let alone the local, right. the national. Uh, and so, like, there's the problem right there is that you got people represent, representing people that don't even know what's going on. So that's why the government is mm-hmm. able to do all these things and get away with so much. And, you know, with Trump, it almost seems like they're just using him to really test the waters. But it's just mm-hmm. that kind of thing is that you can't have these two things going on at the same time and expect proper representation, proper checks and balances going on in the government, especially with the U.S. style uh, democracy, right? Whereas in Canada and uh, Britain, it's the new West or the new Westminster uh, style where at least there's a little bit more representation because more parties can actually, you know, they can rule majority rule, minority rules, stuff like that. Instead of just one whole party dominating uh, the government. Yeah. But you know, but, but I think, and I hear what you're saying. You're right. The, the, the uh, democracy doesn't doesn't really work effectively under capitalism. I get that, but I'm saying is I I think that on any kind of economic system, be it socialism or capitalism or or, or, or communism, you're going to have to have struggles about checks and balances. And you mentioned that word checks and balances, and and that and that comes about when again when you have a representative form of democracy. In other words. I'm not sure, and, 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 and maybe, you know, it's like it's, we're too far, like, away from it, but I'm not sure if we can ever have any kind of uh, um, governmental management type of apparatus without it being somewhat representative, even though, again, we want to have more and more and more people and institutions involved in the democratic process, you know? So even if we, yeah. so but whatever system we have, we're going to have to have these checks and balances. We're going to have to have checks on people that we either vote in uh, or that represent, you know, who's the people. We're going to have to have that regardless. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, I just want to just quickly just say that, like, um, I think that's why it's also, you know, a good – it's just another reason to, to push for actual revolutionary socialism because of the fact that, with this day and age, different from any other age. We have technology, and that technology will mm-hmm. relieve us work and give us time. And we may not have a 
a total democracy where we get to vote on every single thing. Like you were saying, it's, it's too complicated. But like I remember in another podcast, they were talking about uh, in some local communities, they have apps where you can just literally vote right on the app. And, and, you know, maybe that takes some time, but we can get to a place where we're freed up from work. We can participate more in the hmm. politics, have that time to read the paper. You know, what, what happened to that in the morning? You know what I'm saying? And, and, well, and actually have a better representative uh, democracy. Well, mm-hmm. I would yeah, probably that's kind of what I'm saying there. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Jay, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, what I'm trying to I, – I understand the importance of different types of governance, and I apologize. My daughter is, like, screaming in the background. Let me go somewhere where she's not. But the whole okay. thing is, if you look at – if you look at um how we set – how we're set up, this is based on, you know, everything that happened in the 1700s, 1776 and everything. If you really want to look at the fact that I, we have a constitutional republic – that sits here and upholds the 1% over the 99%, that is what is effectively hampering the direct democracy. Now, if we're going to go to socialism, we kind of have to go into what other types of models are there to have political power for labor or, you know, working class people. Question, something like um, if you read a little bit of C.L.R. James, he actually goes into how those democracies, the Athenian democracy model, direct democracy model works. I know that a few anarchists also have very similar things where mm-hmm. people at the lowest bottom have that, have that pre- can put that pressure on the people that are the representatives. In terms of our constitutional de- republic, um, one book I'll probably recommend is Richard Dahl's How Democratic is the Constitution, which explains the 192 types of democracies that we currently have and the differences of how unconstitutional, undemocratic the republic actually is in America. Now, let's remember, the the reason that they have it this undemocratically is because in places like South Carolina, 30, 35% of the people were black and they were slaves. Who were the ones in Virginia that wanted slaves? Slaveholders. So who had the power? And how did they get that? Something like a three-fifths clause that gave them a lot more power in the Congress. These are the types of things that a lot of people have to consider in terms of what would happen if we actually changed to a direct democracy. The Koch brothers would sit here and lose a lot of money in one one fell swoop. And we'd have to sit here and look into the stockholders and all these other different capitalist class, you know, people that are basically like, oh my gosh, this is, this can't work for us. That's why they have such a plutocratic model in America. Um, In terms of, if you look at the UK, they still have a bicameral court or bicameral part legislature similar to America when those are far more undemocratic versus something, say, like Australia or even Germany where they have um, political participation And that comes from the fact that In 1850 John Stuart Mills made a, the parliamentary Model that kind of gave us A lot more democracy And is kind of more of the democracy 2.0 so How can we get to a direct democracy The biggest thing is Again just like you're saying And I agree We will need to have to push From the bottom to sit here and begin to take those powers away. I mean, we may have to have 
here in America a constitutional convention. And if we have enough people that are progressive that are pushing for that, that can actually change that. And I mean, right. I'm probably going to. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, yeah, I mean, and I'm going to cut you off, but that, that's exactly what we're all on the same page. Is that look, we have to have more direct democracy, democracy from 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 the bottom, and you cannot have <laughs> democracy when you have wealth going wealth going to the top, right? When you have wealth protecting particular economic and corporate interests, you cannot have that. And this is what fundamentally people are going to have to wake up to. Now, some of us are already woke up to it, but more and more, more of us are going to have to wake up to it. Even those, even those backwards reactionary folks in the Republican Party are going to have to wake up to it because they've got to realize that what they think is democracy, what they think is freedom, and they use this word freedom a lot, what they, that's not it. And they're going to have to wake up to that too. And, and it, you know, it may be that struggle that we have, but Again, the, the, the model, I, I like what you said about, you know, studying some of these different models that we see around the world, see what we can take from these different things. But we have to have that discussion when we move toward socialism and even ultimately to communism. We got to look at that. What kind of model of governance do we have? Because we're going to have to have some of it, uh, even though it might be radically different. Well, I know it will be radically different from what we have today. We're still going to have to have some of that. Uh, go ahead, Carl. I'll just uh, get you in there. We'll, we'll kind of go around a little bit. Oh, man. Carl, Carl you there? Yeah, I, I, you know, you, both of you guys are right. I think one of the things that uh, you guys both pointed out, which is really good, one is that um, U.S. Uh, bourgeois democracy is not the only democracy. There's many different forms of democracy from around the world. Um, parliamentary uh, proportional representations. There's many different, many different ones. They have their strengths and weaknesses, but the U.S. democracy, I would argue, is probably much more closer to a feudal form than um, it gives far too much power to the executive and says, you know, um, uh, gives far too much to to the two-party system. Um, uh, winner take all. What's they call it in, in, in electoral terms. So we can learn from from you know um, other uh, places an example of, of pushing the kind of democracy that we want. But you're right. Um, this, and, and both of you made a really good point. One is in a social society. Uh, yes, it will be far more time for people to have political discussion, to be engaged and participate and practice democracy, direct democracy and various forms of democracy in a social society because they will have the time to do that. They wouldn't be working two or three jobs and getting burned out and tired and need some entertainment in order to release the pressure for, for the day. Um, there were also two um, uh, uh, well, participate in in a democratic process because, and this is both the democratic and as well as the planning process, is because of the technology of the Internet and the rest can serve also as a way of immediately and directly getting, you know, informing and educating folks about what is going on in the world. So we have the capacity now to do things that, you know, the October Revolution of the Living was not able to, could not conceive of doing at that particular time, or even when, 
you know, the, the Chinese and the Cuban Revolution could not even conceive of at that particular time. So there is greater possibility for many different forms of direct democracy, whether it's direct democracy on the job, direct democracy in terms of the state, direct democracy in terms of the food that you eat and where you live. Um, there's uh, many, many, I think there will be many different types of emerging democracy that we haven't even seen or even conceived of um, until we begin to practice it um, in, in a really social society. But in the, in the meantime, the point you guys were making was we need to begin to struggle for that now. We need to fight for that now, to push that bourgeois democracy to the ultimate limit, to say that it no longer can, can fulfill the task work, uh, uh, and, and meet the needs of the working class, that that form of democracy consistently always falls back on the 1%, um, making sure their interest is protected, their interest is 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 uh, extended and protected in the long run. I, and, and and what has happened is is that we we have an opportunity to do that now because of the resistance movement around the world that is happening. It's not just in the U.S. I mean, it's happening all over the world now. These various resistance movements, whether it's in Russia, whether it's in Bahrain, whether it's in you know uh, parts of Central America, South Africa. Um, it, it, you know, all over the world, resistance movements are emerging now. Um, uh, we'll have to share experiences and we have to share what we know, but the struggle around ex- ex- uh, uh, stretching the bourgeois democracy to its limits set, uh, to the point where people said this is no longer uh, applicable to us. We need something different. And we, the examples that you guys gave were really, really good examples for people to uh, think about to push for to articulate to put in uh, the uh, you know in their demands um, and, we, and that's something that is currently missing in many of these resistance movements that are taking place today. Yeah, well, let, and so Carl, let, let we how can we have thirty five minutes? Let, 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 I want to talk to you about another lesson. This question about you know uh, forty five the asshole moved out came out of you know um, took the United States out of the Paris Agreement. And, and and I know there's serious problems with that agreement. You know, and it's not all what it is. But but what what lessons do you guys uh, do you think we can learn from this? Because to me, this this this, this environmental issue, this this issue of about um, you know fossil fuel industries or, or what the, or you know one of the scientists talked about. Hey, you know the industry that that takes shit out of the ground and don't put shit back in. Right? I mean that's in a broad sense of the word. I mean, this is this is also a, a lesson we need to learn too, because I, I think that we're facing some some dire some, there's some dire consequences for the kinds of choices that um, the one that he made, but two is that if we're not really serious about this environmental issue and and what and and, and, and climate change, right? This is going to have devastating effects uh, on 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 the um, the generations that are are alive today. Uh, and many of us are going to be, you know, including myself and, and Carl, we're going to be dead, you know, and, but it's going to have, it's having, it's having dire effects even now. Um, so what do you guys think about that? I mean, in terms of the lessons that we, we need to be like really talking about the other people around this issue of climate change. Anybody want to go, go with that, uh, Knight or, well, or Jay? Well, um, 
full disclosure, I'm part of the Green Party of Texas. And, okay. like, we are kind of – we're kind of working out some of our own issues of organizing that we have to sit here and do. But, I mean, a yeah. lot of people are pretty upset on that. But in terms of, like, local, national – sweetie, just give me a moment. I apologize. But <clears throat> but um, if you look at what's going on on a local, national, and international issue, on the national front, we do have people like Bill de Blasio as well as um, the governor of, I believe, California that's saying, look, we're going to take Paris, the Paris Agreement seriously. We have people on the international, particularly China, that are taking that seriously. Sweetie, hush. China has been looking to step up where the United States is leaving. So that has been Mm -hmm. one of those things that has been going on. So what we're seeing is basically that people are really serious about climate change. And I think that we, I mean, people aren't looking at all of the things that are going on. For example, renewables have been growing a lot faster than the oil industry has been going on. And this whole thing with Qatar, that is something that is showing that the oil industry is incredibly weak and becoming incredibly desperate to make more profits because, you know, Saudi Arabia versus Qatar, who is going to make oil in Syria? That's the question. And not a lot of people are really paying attention to that, but that is showing that this deep, search for oil, this deep search for profit is not going to be going yes. as far as it's going to be going. So if we may have to take a time and a moment to basically, like, um, you know, go through some rough times, but on the whole, I'm, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic because what's going to come out of it is a lot more people that are pushing for climate and taking it a lot stronger than what it used to be right. in, in the past. Right, right. And, 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 and I, I really, I'm totally glad you said that because that's, again, if we had, you know, you could say, well, if Clinton was in power, we wouldn't be dealing with this. Well, I don't know. Because, again, what, what you're looking at is that these coal, the coal, oil, and, and fossil fuel industries, right, this is about money grab. This is about hanging on to these, to these, to these ways of production, you know, right, and, and, and energy, to, to make money, not looking at it in terms of the more far, far-reaching kind of consequences and the kind of things they need to do. So if China is definitely talking about moving toward, more toward solar energy, more toward, uh, um, um, you know, renewable energy, if, if, a, if a population like that, 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 that large is talking about doing that, that's a forward movement. That's a forward change that we well, need. there's a little and bit it, more. And, 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 it, and it shows... There's a little bit more that I want to say real quick. It's just um, China is also investing in Africa in terms of renewables. Like they're doing mono, mono trains, uh, renewable trains, something to that effect. I don't know all the details, but that's one of the things that they're doing. So, I mean, that's their benefit. Not only are they benefiting themselves, they're also benefiting Africa by bringing in investments that the United States is, not doing by colonizing Africa, you know what I mean? You're right, and, and, and like, but I'm saying this, and, and you're right, and, and, the, and the reason, by, again, because of the, 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 the profit motive type of economy that we have, because of the kind of globalism that we have, the, the capitalism that we have, this is how it influences and impedes upon 
uh, 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 progress, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, this, this fossil fuel industry, this coal industry, and oil industry, I mean, look, they're trying to just make more and more money not looking at the, the long-range consequences of that. They're not looking at that because they're too much focused on the fucking money, right? And they, and they got a lot of other people um, who, 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 defend, who will defend Trump and, and, or, and, and defend these industries thinking because, oh, you know, they, they give us jobs. You know, they're, they're the ones that's giving us a job, blah, blah, blah. But they don't see the long-range thing. And I think this is a crucial lesson that needs to be learned out of this. And, and it's sad that we have to learn it this particular way. It's sad that it took somebody, you know, this, this fool from pulling out of the agreement to say, no, okay, for other, for other states and, you know, to, to start stepping up. But again, we should come out. Again, we should come out of this stronger in that regard. We should come more clear in that regard. So this is a real, to me, is a real important point to talk about in, in this, in this climate change issue and the consequences of if we, you know, making the wrong decision. Um, Knights, are you there? I don't know if he, yeah, he's still there. Knights, yeah, you want to I'm say something there. on that? Okay. Uh, yeah. You want to say anything on that? Next time, <laughs> Next time I should have a pen and paper because uh, there's a lot of things to touch on, but. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. it's uh, I guess it's a conflicting issue, really, to be honest. Because like there, there's there's you guys mentioned one major part of it, which is the fact that you know like there's some states that are like you know we're we're still in this, we're not we're not we're not getting out of this, and it's the same thing with the 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 medical right, the Medicare, where some states are trying to do single payer, and uh, yeah. you know that's good, but I think it was important, like you know, on a world stage, is that. The fact that, you know, Trump has decided to pull out, the fact that he's trying to reactivate the coal industry and, you know, uh, um, what is it called, uh, get rid of some of these, uh, uh, you know, some laws that uh, Obama put into place basically to protect the environment. And it, it, it just shows yeah, that there, there's, there's, there's uh, I guess, not a watershed, but just a, a massive change that's happening in this era right now. And it's clearly showing, like, when Trump withdrew out of that agreement, it just showed how the U.S. is basically withdrawing as that hyperpower, that, that world stage, that world leader, because all those leaders were disappointed. And, you know, uh, Germany and China, you know, their their statistics are phenomenally higher and they're growing. And as mentioned before, they're even investing in China, investing in Africa. And it just really shows that the U.S. is really losing its, 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 its time is almost, you know, it's probably over. I mean, if we're really not taking the, you know, the, the environment seriously. I mean, I remember back in the day, we were the, you know, we were the major people that were like, hey, pesticides are bad. You know, we need the clean water. You know, we need all this kind of stuff. We understood it was fundamental to society and fundamental to, for us to thrive. But now it's like, you know, it's all about the money, of course, as corporatocracy has taken over. And, you know, you're at the point where, you know, you have Flint, Michigan, you know, where people are getting dirty water and stuff. It's just because no one cares right. and they're making so much money and they have so much money mm-hmm. that they, I'm sure they're convinced in the future that they can just pay for whatever type of issue that the world will run into, you know, all the way the air is bad. Well, you know, we'll figure out a way to have clean air all for ourselves and stuff like that. I mean, if you have billions of dollars, it must be some reason why they're saving all that damn money up for, you know, uh, you know, right. it, it makes a lot of sense for them in the future to be prepared for, you know, whatever they want. But it, 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 it really shows, I, I, you know, living in Canada right now, it, it, it's very embarrassing, you know, it's very embarrassing. To know that you know the the U.S. is, I mean, essentially they're retarded. I mean, like, I mean, like it doesn't right. make any sense. You can't 
No, greedy. You know, they're, they're greedy. Not, not retarded. Greedy. It's greedy. It's it, not it, greedy. It, it, it's so greedy that they're retarded almost, right? Because, like, I talked yeah, to even right. some people, yeah. and they support Trump, and they don't – they literally will say the same things about climate change. And it's just like, are you cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man? Like, what the – like, what are you talking about? How is that, like, how does that make sense to you in your mind? But, like, you know, that's the second part. I, I know I'm kind of running, but, like, that's where I'm conflicted is is the second part is the fact that there's this quote that I live by, and, it, you know, it, it goes by a moment of laxity can spawn a lifetime of hate. And, and, like, I think right now there's a massive form of laxity. You know, the there's a lot of people, you know, there's people, there's states that are doing all these things. You know, there's people that are certainly doing stuff. But in general, I don't think anyone really cares a lot about it, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's, that, it's that psychological issue that humans have where it's like, if it's not, if the problem's not in your face, it's so difficult for us to really give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's the problem here. And, and like, people should be protesting nonstop. I mean, Trump, Paris Agreement is just one of the things that, you know, he got rid of to protect the environment that Obama put into place and other previous presidents, and it's just, it's sad. I mean, I guess I'm referring mainly to the youth. You know, there's a, there's a lack of interest, lack of care, but, like, you know, that's where the bourgeois got it all down because they, you know, they got these endless distractions, you know, to keep you busy while they're screwing up the world and burning it down, you know, and it's, it's, it's sad. It's conflicting, you know, so I don't really know where to say, like, are we learning something here or are we not? I feel like we're learning that, we're not number one anymore. We're not going to really America is, you know, you know, it's not a guaranteed thing in the future. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. That's a good thing. That, that's a good thing in a way. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, but let, but let, let me, let me get, let me get, uh, let me see. I got one more of the call. We have about 20, 24 minutes left. Let me try to get Naj in real quick. I'm like, he might be working, but let me see. Hold on a second. Hey, Nas. Hey, uh, just keep me on mute, man. I'll get in in a few. Y'all got time. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so yeah. So no, I, I hear Knight. I hear what you're saying. I, I think that there, there's, you know, I, I do wonder, like, you know, like if people want to be, you know, wake up enough to really try to make this kind of change. But I, I, at the same time, I, I, I kind of have some hope and sense of, you know, you're looking at. These, uh, you know, we had a, a, the, the last show we had was about the uh, uh, socialism conference that's going on in Chicago. We saw the, the People's Summit, uh, which I think is, is you know, it, it is kind of gathered around the Democratic Party, but it's, it's also, I think there's a lot of different elements that I can, that I can see um, in, in that People's Summit that, that, that went to place this weekend that are trying to push, push for an independent party or push for a Democratic Party to push more left or even try to, to fucking undermine the Democratic Party, which is a good thing as well. So you got that. You got the Democratic Socialists of America, who are also having a conference in in, um, in Chicago this summer as well. And a lot of young people, have, from what I understand, have been become members of that. Of that. And even though Democratic Socialists of America is not a revolutionary socialist party or what have you, uh, certainly that the fact that they that um, that they exist and they're growing, there's going to be some struggles within. That organization around these kind of these very issues that we're talking about, in, in terms of you know what is what does it mean to 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 have socialism, and and then you know uh, Jay talked about being a part of the Green Party. I mean, so there's a lot of different types of 
organizations and movements that are going on that, again, it's just a matter of them, of all of us reaching out and reaching out to people who are not a part of these struggles is to reach out. And that's the reason why I'm not saying that our show is getting a whole bunch of people, but, I mean, that's part of what the show is about. That's part of what a lot of, you know, the, the DSA is doing their own podcast now. Um, so there's different uh, websites. So it's just a matter of us trying to get out and connect with people. And, and don't, don't spend a lot – the one thing that I don't do, I don't spend a lot of time arguing with right-wing fascist folks. I just don't do that. I'm trying to find people that either want to engage in a debate because they're kind of like wondering where do we go next, or I'm trying to find people like yourself and others to connect with so we can build uh, uh, our strength you know, together. And so that's how I deal with it. The other folks on the far right, you know, out there, you know, they they will be dealt with. They will be dealt with. We have to realize, I think, still, even though we had 60 million people voted for this this asshole, that that that, that does not outnumber the the population of people who generally are against him. All right. So so in other words, three fourths of the population didn't. Either they didn't vote for him or they didn't vote at all. So he does not have a mandate, even though he had 60 million to my people that were stupid enough to vote for him. It does not mean a mandate. So that means you got a lot of other people to say, you know, no, no, we ain't down for that shit. No, we might not understand what's going on. Clearly they don't because the people who didn't vote didn't do anything. You need to, like, rethink your strategy. If you did not vote, you really need to do that. Uh, you need to rethink your strategy because I'm not saying voting is everything. But you have to be involved in the political change process on some level if we're ever, we're ever going to move forward. So um, anyway, uh, Carl, let me, let me get back over to you. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just trying to kind of get us around. Yeah. I just, these are all, um, you know, really good and relevant um, points. But I also want to keep, uh, keep in mind, I know it is sometimes frustrating, um, sometimes uh, it can make you demoralizing when um, people, more people are not engaged or, or politically awake around these various issues. But I think that, um, and if you look back in history, uh, the Vietnam War started in 1959-1960. And there were a lot of people protesting, um, uh, the people, but they were small. People wasn't taking it. It wasn't until the draft happened in 66 that it started to change and then when it was a massive draft in 67 that people but during that time people that was organized had organization in place to be able to provide leadership organization and structure to the movement now it exceeded them they they only took it to a certain level they were more uh, liberal reformists the more leftist uh, which, you know, transformed the SDS, the Democratic Society, to a much more radical and, and, and revolutionary organization, as well as other organizations uh, came along and, and uh, uh, you know, put, uh, move aside, took leadership. But if it wasn't for the groundwork that took place during this period, a lot of, of the, the, the mass part of the movement uh, is, uh, would not happen to do that. Uh, it's, one is consistency of organization. Two, consistency of messaging. You got to keep the word out there. You got to keep doing. It. Even the environmental movement in the 1960s was a, 
no one cared little or nothing about. It wasn't until the early 1970s that it began to actually started to have some traction and it began to move forward. Up until then, it was more of a like a you know alternative lifestyle hippie kind of thing. You know that's them over there, but but you could see that it was obvious then. I mean, the water was polluted. Lake Erie was bad. Um, the, the smog was so bad in L.A. and, and, and major cities. Uh, it, it was in front of people's faces, but people were saying, well, that's not the main problem. Um, it's, you know, the issue is, uh, around the environmental issues is not really relevant. But, it, but the people were organized, consistent, disciplined, started small, but they kept building, kept doing the work, and, and became a major mass movement in the 1970s. That's what has to take place today, is that, yes, there's a lot of resistance, a lot of movement, and it's inconsistent. It is the socialist organizing of a long-term vision has to, you know, keep the organization going going forward. They will have to struggle with those who are providing this leadership. They have to um, uh, keep the message out there, uh, you know, mass the message about, about what's going on, Get it, you know, recruit the next wave of young people to get engaged into the movement and, and, and the struggle to, to to move it forward. Our challenge, which is often has been, is that we, we end up in our different silos and not uh, 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 in a you know, particular struggle, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's you know, environmental or whether it's you know, immigrant rights. The role of a socialist is to unite all of these movements and show the interconnection between all of them and build a mass movement, a mass socialist movement that shows the connection between all of them going forward. And, and recognize you're going to start small. You're, you're going to have some difficult days ahead. But if you're consistent, organized, and, 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 and struggle through, you know, whether there's misleaders or people take you off in different courses, um, and, 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 you know, be prepared for some co-intel pro, that's just going to be there, that's, that's just there. Um, yet those kinds of things that, that will happen, you will build a mass movement that will bring about the kind of changes that take place. You have to, to yeah. you know, you have to, to have to keep in mind that if you have this vision, you're going to work towards that. Vision. If you if you put this vision on the shelf and just simply say this is all that we can do, you know, and and, and for for people, uh, you know, African Americans in America, we've been through a hell of a lot, um, far darker days than this, um, and folks would tell us, you know, these are dark days, but you keep doing what you're doing. Keep organizing what you're organizing. Keep articulating what you're whether you do, you know, plot, you know, uh, pod radio or whether you do mass media on TV or whether you speakers at rally. Whatever you do, keep doing it, and then it creates a motion, a movement, and it just takes off from there to where you see even the most, you know, backward and right-wing forces, you know, to a certain degree trying to articulate a message close to yours. Um, kind of thing. So I, I, I that, it, it, let me let me yeah, let let me we have 15 minutes, 14 minutes left. Let me uh, let me bring up one more issue too. Um, one I mean, in terms of you know what we learn out of this era. I don't know what you guys think, but I think if I had to 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 point to one particular issue that is, that that is an important defining issue. I mean, I think climate change is is, is the one. 
um, are the top everything to me. I mean, that's just me because we we're not. Because again, we're not. We don't. We don't get control of that. I mean, we're 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 again consequences. But uh, but the other the other issue that I think of defining issues in terms of in terms of just political struggle for the left, we can say that it, it could be the living wage thing. But I think it really could be this healthcare issue. I think that that's a defining issue. That if if that can be pushed, and 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 if the left stays behind that issue, and 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 we, and we get it in place, it can it can really change how people look at um, the notion of of private of, of the market. You know, market forces, private markets. It, it it can change how people look at that. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I, I think I'm just saying. Do you think that health, this healthcare, universal healthcare, could be a defining issue of this era, and that if we could win that, if we could achieve that, it could start helping people to rethink, you know, a kind of rethink this kind of market-driven type of society? What do you guys think? Anybody? <clears throat> well, I I could say some. Um, okay. Yeah, so, like, basically, like, I think with this, I, I, I agree, like, um, I think what the biggest issue that we have in the States is the fact that we're all super, super crazy about America, and, you know, we don't want to change any real, the real ten, ten, tenets of the, of the country, so, like, this whole notion of changing our democracy or putting in place things that are, you know, considered, you know, socialist or some other type of thing, you know, I, I think this will change the way. I think it's, it, it won't even it won't not only change the way people think. It will also show how we are changing the way that we think. And I mean, obviously, we have lots mm-hmm. of socialized types right. of things in place in the country right now. But right. a lot of people are just not really up to tune to realize that. And the biggest right. thing that everyone has seen throughout these years, you know, these last ten years or so, is that this idea of a, you know, single payer healthcare is socialism and socialism is bad, you know, and, and if this is put into place and then everyone realizes like, holy shit, like this, this is, this is, this is this, like then people are going to start to really kind of like look, be a little bit more open mind. I'd tell you, especially with the newer generation and, and the rise of social yeah. Democrats, like it can definitely be a watershed and it definitely could change, you know, possibly actually positively change the u.s i mean you know it seems kind of weird to say but i think it can do some good definitely yeah yeah anybody well with like um how i look at it and how a lot of people like we we have some issues in the green party just to go back a little bit we have some issues with trying to stand up right now we're trying to fight a few issues on the local level such as dues and such but in regards to getting into the universal health care, that issue is such a big one. I, I don't know if it will necessarily change everything, but what will happen is that with universal health care, what it can do is change the entire, like, it could change the debate for the, for the better. I don't know if it will change the whole thing, but I know yeah, that Kashama Sawant talking about that, She's saying if you start putting people in the struggle for anything, something to that effect, I'm paraphrasing, but you start to put people in that that helps to 
you know, pick up their class consciousness. So once they sit here and they start seeing a victory on universal health care, Medicare for all, however you want to call it, there's a lot more momentum to sit here and change everything else. And that begins that mm-hmm. whole process of fighting for more things, which is yeah, exactly. always what the right wing wants to disrupt. They want to discontinue mm-hmm. all of these fights by sitting here mocking it. And then they find out that, oh, wait a minute, a lot of people like this. We're going to have to like this, even though it's socialism. It doesn't matter if it's socialism or not. What it matters is my my daughter is going to get some health care. <laughs> I'm not going right. to sit here and I'm not going to worry about all of this other stuff. I don't care if it's socialism or communism or whatever else. I want to sit here and kill Nixon care, and I'd rather have Bernie care, okay? <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. I just sit here and say single-payer health care, it works for UK. It works for Canada. It works for every other civilized country why doesn't it work here so that's just my yeah. feelings on it if we can get it well, here in Texas, but, it, but it's crucial we'll on it. but it's but it's crucial for people to see that this is about again a market-driven economy is the reason why we don't have it this, this that's what it's about and people are going to see that yeah. the market-driven economy cannot solve everything it, it just cannot it, it cannot do that i mean just, i was looking at things on on democracy now this morning about you know jared kushner <laughs> You know, who's uh, he, I guess he is a part of this. He has either he either has stakes into this uh, uh, corporation or whatever that owns all these a lot of apartments in Baltimore. You know, and people are paying a lot of money, a lot of Section Eight, a lot of Section Eight apartments, right? And and just think about that. I mean, you know, you, people are getting Section Eight because they can't afford to pay, uh, uh, you know, for, for just even rundown housing apartments. They can't. They get Section Eight from the government. That money goes back to the private. Uh, realtors and, and, and owners of, of, of those of those apartments, right? That, that's that, that's that market-driven piece, that private privatization piece that I'm talking about. Instead of having the government, you know, uh, create, build affordable housing for everybody, get get the middle middle person out of it. Nobody owns the shit but the people. The people own the housing, right? They own it. They take care of it. They pay for it. That's the kind of thing, the kind of vision we need to see. Not somebody saying. Here you got Jerry Kushner, who and his and his dad, who are both you know they're they're into real estate, they're real estate moguls, and they sit up here and have investments and in owning all kinds of real estate and shit like that. Same thing with the medical system. Same thing. If people are making a lot of money, if you deprivatize that shit, right, we're going to get a lot further along. I'm not saying it's going to solve everything. No, I'm, that's not my position here. But it, it at least kind of help people understand and see that there are contradictions with this market-driven privatization of everything. And this is what the, the, the fascists in the White House wants to do. This is what the people around them, they want to privatize shit, because when you privatize shit, then you have more control over everybody else. That's what fascism is all about. When you can control what people, you know, you control, you control their house, their food, their Medicare. When you control all that shit, it may not be the government. It's not the government controlling it. It's private private people doing that and they're the ones that become the thugs, right? And that's the reason why people gotta see that this private shit, this marketing shit is against us. It's against us. And to me, we can take that issue of universal health care to help them see that that's what's happening. Right? It's, you know I don't know. I mean that's just kinda of well, Carl, we got six minutes left. You can you can come on drop jump in real quick. We got six minutes. No, I, I think you raised a really good point. But it also, um, 
for me, it's, it can be the health care. Uh, but I think the point uh, I, I forgot who raised, we have to win. We have to have one winning battle. Um, yeah. Uh, and I know you can learn some lessons from from losses, but from mass movement to uh, engage a lot of people and get more people uh, involved, we have to be able to win uh, a particular struggle. And maybe that's it. And, and the examples you guys gave uh, are really, really good examples that could do it. But I think one of the things that we also have to keep in mind that we're in a period of neo-fascism. It's a period. It's right. not the it's not the system in of itself that will never change. It's a period that we're in. We have to fight it. We have to, you know, be clear about our demands. We have to be clear about our tactics. We have to be clear that we're in it for the long-term struggle and battle. Um, and part of that has to include the, the issue that you that you raise, but also as well um, uh, how we you know, articulate the message uh, and, and raise people understanding uh, so that people, as one of you describe it there, people say, you know, oh, that socialism must be bad, but once they use it, it's like, oh, well, this is what I want and I want to keep. And, and, right. and part of that is that we have to win it so that people want to keep it. Now, it will always be under constant attack, um, just like Social Security, Medicare, all of these uh, will be a continuous constant attack um, as long as we're in a capitalist system. But the struggle, we just can't step back from that struggle. We have to keep pushing forward, uh, going forward from uh, this point onward. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, and, that, and, and that's, you know, I just want to keep that in mind. Uh, we got four minutes. Anybody want to have, well, let, keep, keep, your, keep your eye on the clock there, but anybody else want to have something else? Yeah, if y'all can hear me, I don't know if I'm open. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you are. Go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, y'all are laying out uh, a lot of important things. and It's kind of just the, the war against petrified thought to a certain degree. Like, some of this stuff just mm-hmm. has to be cracked, and people have to see the example of that these things are not only viable, but this is in your best interest. So you guys are talking about health care. Right. You get universal health care in there. In a situation where people actually weren't uh, – running away when they heard the word socialism. I'm not a Bernie fan, but the fact that people didn't run away, that didn't make him unelectable, uh, that tells you that a lot of people see, you know, that, that things can be different and should be different. So then you give that mm-hmm. them that experience of winning. Yeah, that, that really does change the trajectory. Now, the, the, the main thing is fighting for livable wages. Uh, you got to get people to understand that somebody getting a, a, a higher wage doesn't mean a, a price increase overall, and all of a sudden your work is not as important because now some guy at a restaurant is making almost as much as you. So that, that class mm-hmm. dynamic that is already there to where people don't want other people to get close to them because they feel like then their school experience wasn't worth the time. They need a class to look down right. upon. So we, we, we got to right. kind of push against that. And, and, and then, like, no matter what, man, I, I guess the, the thing that kind of disturbs me the most is we got these new social media tools and, you know, these new tech you know, tech, technology, the apps, and all this other stuff. But that stuff influences people to be mobilized instead of organized because you can calmly from your <laughs> living room, connect with some people, say you're going to do this, hashtag some stuff, and then that's that. But everything mm-hmm. you lose from not organizing and showing up is you don't even get the camaraderie, you don't even get the real victory, even small victories. The AT&T people in Chicago last week, they did a really good job. Looks like they're kind of 
you know, pushing towards getting those wage increases. Those small little victories like that even can engage people to be out there and organize. But if you get used to just right. hashtagging, you know what I mean, you'll, you'll just stay on the sidelines. So, so that's another difficulty. But no matter what, it, it's just this constant fight against propaganda where everybody's in their echo chamber. And we got to just decide that we're going to win that fight. That's the, that's the other side of this. Like mm-hmm. We have to explain mm-hmm. to people, like, look, man, th- this is not working for you. And the, the little crumbs that you're getting that are bigger than your neighbors is not enough. And you have to stop letting people reduce you down to thinking that, that that's good enough. And, and, and that's a difficult, right. difficult conversation with Americans. As we're seeing right now, some of these supporters of the, the person in office, they're more concerned with hurting other people than they are getting even the things he campaigned on. Their, their biggest exactly. concern is, Thank you. is the other side of sex. Right. Thank you. You know, look, we're going to have to, we're going we're gonna to have to come to close it out, but I want to kind of come back to this um, again next, next time, because again, I, I, I just really kind of want to keep framing, framing some of these issues in, these, in, in, in a larger vision, because, it's so easy to just kind of focus this on the immediate stuff, like right now, right, and not look at the long-range view. And so I, I, I kind of want us to kind of come back to that, uh, brothers. I really appreciate the uh, appreciate all your input. We had about five of us on here, and we did a good job of just kind of listening to each other. That's the kind of things that we need to do. Uh, be on online as well as offline. People need to learn how to listen to each other have some critical uh, feedback and discussion and, and really have a vision for something different. So really appreciate everybody being on and thanks a lot. Appreciate it.